Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll see. You really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a freight end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Hello, and welcome to the Normal Cast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is March 12th, 2012, and on today's episode, episode 7 of the Normal Cast, we have the second part of my interview with Patagonian custodian Hayden Kennedy. Um, I've gotten overwhelming praise for the first part, so hopefully you guys will enjoy the second part as much, and thank you so much for all the comments. On this installment, Hayden takes on his critics pretty directly, so look forward to that in just a couple minutes. I know in the last show I said I might try to get this out sooner than two weeks, but then the weather turned amazing here in Colorado and I started climbing, so um, with a little work mixed in there, two weeks went zipping by. Besides, if I had to put it out Early, then I'd felt obligated to get the next one out sooner, and pretty soon the whole schedule would have been jacked. So anyway, until PBR or Toyota or American Airlines calls with that full sponsorship deal um, and I can quit my job, I'm sticking to two a month. Don't you think the Enormacast and Paps Brewing would make a great partnership? Anybody know anybody out there that works for Paps? Let them know how much I enjoy their product, if you would. In the meantime, you guys can help out by visiting the website or normalcast.com, liking the Normalcast on Facebook, and subscribing to it on iTunes and leaving a review if you would. Um, and mainly just tell your friends, especially those that work at Pabst, to check it out. One more thing. If you haven't heard part one of the HK interview, it would certainly help to go back and listen to that, episode six. I also I made two or more mistakes in the last episode, part one of the interview. Uh, the compressor I said was 400 pounds and it's probably more like 200 pounds because people know this, I guess, because it's been pulled to the summit and then put back in some sort of weird kerfuffle about taking it away and putting it in someone's museum. And then they decided to leave it up there. So anyway, not that a 200 pound is any more ethically (laughs) acceptable in alpine climbing than a 400 pound compressor. But hey, just wanted to make sure you guys know 200, not 400. So maybe some CrossFit gym can use it for some sort of exercise. Anyway, uh, the other one is that I said that Cesar Maestri was something of an ice climbing wizard. Actually, on the 1959 ascent, the first claimed ascent of Cerro Torre, it was Tony Egger who was the ice climbing master while Cesar Maestri, certainly versed in ice climbing, was more of the rock jock. And in the claims on that ascent was that the reason it went so quickly and they were able to climb the mushroom that time and everything else is because Tony Egger was such a good ice climber. All right. I feel better about that. All right. Sit back and enjoy the rest of the epic three-hour interview with the Patagonian custodian, Hayden Kennedy.
you guys are back in the States. Left El Shaltan. Well, actually, me and Jason left on separate dates. Okay. So he left on the 30th. I left on the 1st. So you were like there for two days by yourself? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rose there yeah, and, and, and Colin and Kate yeah. and Mikey right, right. and, so, and yeah. you know Joel sure. lots of friends right okay so and it's not just like lonely feeling deep inside you know, like <laughs> wandering around the yeah, street it's not just me just posted up and you know in my sleeping bag <laughs> right. like crying right now you come back and and oh I, I told you this earlier but I heard about this before you got home like everybody else I was gone and I I showed up and and it was on the internet like on a Thursday. And I went climbing with our mutual friend Jonathan. Right, right, yeah. And um, you know, of course, we were just like, "Dude, what's Hayden got himself into?" And you know, I had this feeling of like, when I heard, I had this feeling of a pit in my stomach because mm-hmm. maybe you obviously had some discussions with Jason about the repercussions of this, and as you guys talked about the internet and all that sort of thing. But I instantly, because I kind of dwell there more than you do because of this podcast and everything else, I had this instant dropping of my stomach like, wow, this is going to get big, right? And to speak to that, the other night, I hadn't really been following it. You know, I've been reading sort of the kind of more journaly articles about it in blog posts, but I hadn't been on the forums. And so I downloaded to research it so I didn't have to be online, the Supertopa forum. And yeah. <laughs> I just kind of got on there and I... I, I press save and got it on my computer and left the library or wherever I was. And then I started to read it and about 150 posts in, I kind of glanced over at my at the slider on the side of the screen and it hadn't moved yet. And that was the first time I fucking realized how ginormous this thing was. And it's like this, I downloaded it a few days ago and it was at like 1400 posts. So I just was, I mean, I spent like five or six hours sort of combing through it. You know, I, I kind of want to get into that a little bit with you. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. About sort of some of the arguments against it. Generally speaking, and this is generally, so it's it's definitely, you know, in my five-hour sort of little dip into the whole world of it. Plus, I read some of the articles online by, that were posted by climbers. And it seems to me that, in general, those who agreed with you or congratulated you guys are a lot of the people who either had made serious contributions to the climbing down there or more specifically are are still currently active in the game, okay? And and I like to say have skin in the game, involved in it. And, you know, there are various lists of, of serious climbers who said, I agree with this sort of thing. Uh, we've talked about them. Obviously, Rolo, Colin Haley, Kelly Cordes, and ultimately, Reinhold Messner. Yeah, yeah. Who wrote you a personal letter that said this was a, a, the right thing to do, and, and I'm amazed by your scent. But it definitely seemed like there were some outliers who had put up roots there and climbed seriously who were against it. That was my impression. And, you know, criticize me, those of you listening, for that impression, not him, because this is my impression of what I saw. You know, now you're back in the States and you're and this shit's coming down right, on you yeah. here now. So, what, what are your feelings about that? You know, so to be completely honest, I mean, I haven't, you know, I read, I've read some of the Super Topo and different right. forums and, you know, I really haven't read that much of it. Okay. And that's, that's a completely healthy thing to I do. I really have kind of avoided reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, but from what I've seen, you know, the criticism against what Jason and I did, 
And I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's kind of like one of those things where I got an email from a friend, from a, from a close friend that I really respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was asking him advice about this kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And he told me, you have to take the heat. You have to stick with your guns. Right. And you can't let this negative energy and this negative feedback affect you. Okay. Right? Like, mm-hmm. and, I, and I took that really to heart and I was okay. like, okay, that's what I have to do. Because I'm, I'm like, I've never had, I mean, I don't know. You know, I've never had anyone like really like dislike me mm-hmm. or write anything bad about me. I mean, I'm sure I've always been a, in my mind. I thought oh, I'm a pretty mellow dude. <laughs> I don't know. Just like kind of just climbing. Not really. And I guess this is the first time I've really had people like really against me. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I see, you know, playing devil's advocate. I, I can see some of the arguments that okay. have been. Well, we're going to do that so. against me, but it's really hard for me to see them because I believe so strongly in the reason the reasons that we remove these bolts mm-hmm. and the reason why territory is so beautiful sure. and, and why those bolts desecrated the face. Of it, it's it's hard for me, and this is me being very honest, to, to see the other side. I, I mean, it's good to be honest about that. I mean, I, and again, going through these forums, it's like I sort of started to look at, at some of the varied arguments. And I just, and I'll tell you what, I just wrote off all the people that called you a dick and a fuckhead and yeah. you guys are fuckers and fuck you and because I was just not interested in that. And again, it's very easy to do that to some anonymous person that you've never met. And, right, when and you the don't know his name. To disagree with what you guys did is a whole nother thing. And that that's kind of kind of where I'm, I'm going to come from with this. So um, the first thing I want to actually ask you about is the idea of fair means. This is a right. phrase that yeah. I think Rolo created. And it's sort of I'm an extension sure Rolo of, of actually, Messner's attitude. I'm not sure if Rolo actually created the the fair means, quote unquote, mm-hmm. like kind of term. Right. Maybe he did. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of just kind of like been this brainchild of a lot of different alpinists uh-huh. over the years. To me, fair means is is alpine climbing. Okay. It is you start from the ground and you go to the summit, mm-hmm. and you have your pack, your rack, and the rope and the shirt on your back. There is no use of fixed ropes. There is you know, you're you're climbing an alpine style. Mm-hmm. You leave the ground and you summit, mm-hmm. or you don't summit. That's a thing, right? Like you come down when the mountain has overcome you. Sure. And this is you know something that we can't. I mean, it'll take us all night to get into. Oh the, yeah, this the evolution is a, of that. But basically, it's an understanding that you get rid of a certain amount of technical advantages, knowing and understanding that that's lessening your chances of success. Exactly. And so you're you're you are fully kind of sacrificing mm-hmm. yourself to this mountain and to this experience. Whether you know it, it's kind of it comes down to like you're willing to have this magnificent failure. Sure. Is how I've thought of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you're willing to have a, a spectacular failure. Very small chance of success. Right. And and as a person on the outside looking in, because I'm not an alpine climber, I'm definitely simply a rock climber. My understanding of it is is that as a community, those of you who, who sort of partake in this this pursuit have found what that acceptable line is. Because obviously you know, if you want to play sort of kindergarten black and white, right. right and wrong games, you know, someone would say, yeah, the naked free solo. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and so that's obvi- absurd. Obviously. Yeah. But obviously there's a line. There's a line. And people will say, well, those guys used wool and now you guys are using nylon or, you know, there's all these sorts of games to play. But I think in the end, even as a 
person outside looking in, I can I understand where that line is, and I say, yeah, things like fixed ropes, and and there's a certain level of use of, of technology that's going to allow you guys to ascend without sort of breaking into that into that realm of okay, this is unfair. Right. So I think that what fair means is, and I think I, it's hard to put it. A finger on exactly how you know fair means or whatever sure. alpine climbing is, sure. right? Because it, it it is a it's a big gray area in this in this whole thing, but it's it's rising to the mountain. Uh huh. It's not taking the mountain to your level. Sure. It's rising to the occasion, mm-hmm. training harder, being better, mm-hmm. or recognizing that you are not mm-hmm. that good. Right. Right. And then maybe this is not meant for you, or you need to train. So four or five years from now, you can do that. Mm-hmm. So whatever it is, you know, so a lot of people criticize us because we did clip five bolts. Okay. Right? Yeah. And, and that's actually a great place to start because Messner, I mean, it, it, he congratulated you, but in his own sort of treatises on the subject for him, bolts are sacrilege. Yeah, period. exactly. Yeah. So you guys have clipped five bolts that were all already had been placed. Some of them by Jason and, and uh, his one of par- them by Jason and his and partner Chris previously and the, and the rest of them from Hermano. Hermano Salvatore. Yeah, Salvatera. Okay. Salvatera, sorry. So he, so you guys clipped those. And you also, on the way up, belayed on... The anchors that we left. Okay, the anchors, which were Maestri's anchors. Two anchors. Okay, so just to be clear, you guys yeah. used five bolts that had been previously placed and two of Maestri's anchors. So, I mean, a lot of people would criticize us. Like, what is, you know, and we're talking five bolts for progression, Right. Okay. Up the mountain, using okay. those bolts to increase safety and progression. That's mm-hmm. simple as that. Okay. And um, you know, for me and Jason, five bolts to four hundred seemed like a pretty reasonable. That seemed like a pretty reasonable trade-off. People that have said that they're the same thing, you know, five bolts and four hundred bolts mm-hmm. are the same thing. It's it's hard for me to really understand that argument. Mm-hmm. But. I think that bolts, I'm not against bolts. Like people have now really associated me with like this, you know, this traditionalist, this elitist who just hates bolts. I love sport climbing, mm-hmm. right? And I, I have nothing against bolts, right? Mm-hmm. With reasonable use. Mm-hmm. So Serratory is on a very steep granite feature with many cracks, mm-hmm. many, many, many cracks. Mm-hmm. And Maestri avoided all of these cracks and natural systems and placed so many bolts right? Unacceptable in my mind. But with steep granite, and you've climbed lots of granite, mm-hmm. you know that there are blank sections, right? Right. There are sections that aren't protectable by any other pieces of gear. Bolts, right? right? That's where the reasonable use right there, that's the word, reasonable use of bolts sure. comes into play. So there is a very reasonable use of bolts. Mm-hmm. Five bolts on a thousand meters of climbing. Right. So three thousand sized. L cap size. Right. Five bolts. Five bolts, two anchors. Now, just to clarify, because we, we both Hayden and I understand that that there are those who will be listening for us to make errors, and I'm sure I've made a ton. As um, me as well. But nobody knows how many bolts are were on the compressor route. It's total. anywhere from three hundred to five hundred right. I've heard all these different numbers. Sure. I I'm in my I don't really know, probably four to four fifty. Right. So we're just gonna go with sort of four hundred for con- for conversational. So many people have said, you know, not reading these forums that five bolts versus four hundred, what's the difference? And and again, for me, 
and criticize me for this, you know, that's, it's, it's, again, it's extremely, you want everything black and white. That, that's a very child, literally like a childlike way of looking at the world. There, there are nuances and certainly five bolts versus 400 bolts is a monstrous difference. It's and, monstrous. And it's, one of them monstrous. is is acceptable within what we consider the rules of the game, even today, or or in nineteen seventy, and one of them isn't. You don't have to be a professor with a mathematical equation to figure that out. I mean yeah. it's it's simple. And, but again, I mean, there is part of me though that says, Okay, yeah, with such a strong statement against Maestri's bolt ladders. I can see where people are like, well, wait, they use bolts. Right. But and, they, and, and overall, our statement was that this route, the Southeast Ridge, was an attainable goal in mm-hmm. the 70s, right. in the 80s, in the 90s, obviously now. Right? right. This was a very attainable route. You know, we're not looking to be against bolts. Mm-hmm. You know, the reasonable use of bolts is, is acceptable, mm-hmm. right? Someone might think that using right. a compressor is reasonable, and someone might think that, you know, you should never place a bolt. Right. right, like where does that line sure. lie, and that's where the gray area is. And for you, it, it 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 was within reason to use five plus two anchors. It you know to us it seemed <clears throat> reasonable. Yeah, and and one thing that I think that is missing in in sort of the argument, and and one of the reasons that I I am on board with with the chopping of the bolts or the cleaning of the bolts is that it's not just really about the bolts; it's about those things represent what he did to the mountain right. and what he he not only did with the perspective of 40 years later, but he at the time openly said, I am here to, you know, to make this horrible statement against this mountain in his own words. He was talking about taking it down a revenge route, conquering a a conquering route. And so if he had used pitons, if he had, had used, you know, aluminum ladders like they use them on mm-hmm. on Everest and on, on Himalayan peaks, it doesn't matter what the manifestation of that attitude was. If they were ladders, you'd have taken the ladders down. If they were bolts, you'd take the bolts down. If they were just cables, let's say he, he somehow strung a, 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 a true Via Ferrata up there with cables, the cables would have come down. Yeah. Yeah. So it... The, the to focus on bolts as bolts isn't necessarily the issue here. The issue that's a very good point because right. it's a very good point. It really comes down to the attitude in which Maestri ascended this line. Mm-hmm. It comes down to the simple fact of attitude and respect for the mountains. All right, so moving on down the line of of, uh, of, many, of many 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 attacks on you. Many one sort of thing that kept coming up is how quote-unquote young you guys are and disparagingly on on many of these sort of articles and they kept using the word boys these boys and with discretion to the um the italians that were kind of trying to work with english maybe they just got it wrong but it was clear to me often anyway this was seen as as a slight to you guys yeah you're 22 you were 21 at the time yep um Jason is 24. 24. But you guys have a pretty serious resume, you know, in terms of that. But but respond to that. What how is you guys being young even relevant in your mind or is it? You know, so this is again another argument that I I've kind of dismissed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, I don't think that age really should matter in this 
in this argument because regardless of our resumes up to this point, I I mean, I guess that does have, it does play a factor in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, me, and, and the thing is, it comes down to like, Jason and I have dedicated our lives to climbing. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly the last few years, you know, the last three or four years for me, really the alpine climbing. Mm-hmm. And so the question that like, you know, we're too young to make this decision, like who who is old enough? Like that's the question that I would ask, right? Sure. What qualifies you to be old enough or what qualifies you to have experience to make this decision, right? Mm-hmm. Jason and I felt that what? We just climbed the route by fair means mm-hmm. with plenty of time to do it. And we felt that without consensus by one party was the only way to have this issue, quote unquote, kind of, you know, to, to go about this whole territory controversy was just without mm-hmm. without consensus. Right. Right. And age has nothing to do with it. Sure. For me personally. Mm-hmm. Right. And people can criticize how young I am. That's fine. But it's, <laughs> I do all the time. It's yeah. <laughs> it kind of comes down to like what? Like, I mean, it's all I have left, though. <laughs> I really like this. Um, these arguments that John Long have made on Super Topo. That it, it it's kind of the young guy's job to stir up things, right? And the older guys to be pissed about mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a traditional way to look at it. Sure. And what John Long said on Supertober, because I, I was really interested in what he has to say. You know, he didn't really come out in support of what you guys did necessarily, because I don't want to. I don't want to give that impression. But his points involved, yeah, that there's those. The vanguard, as he kept calling them, the the cutting edge, the people on on the very front end of everything, they have never asked for consensus. And they've always been the young because, let's face it, everybody, I mean, you get over the hill and there's a point at which you stop doing it and you start talking about it. And it's always been the realm of the youth to kick ass and to take names and to do the things that maybe are you know, uncomfortable or difficult or will cause, you know, s- sort of personal pain. And that's just the way all of history has been. Yeah, no, it's so, a good point. I mean, I, 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 too, with you sort of dismissed that one as being like, this is not even relevant. And it's only someone who's older who would even say that. Right. And, and it- then you just instantly go to, well, yeah, that's because you're fucking old. <laughs> and coming from someone who's old and who's who's not climbing as well as he used to, I completely, if I don't sympathize, I at least understand like what it's like to get trapped in that of like, well, back in my day. Right. And you guys need to defer to me. And I guess the whole age thing, it's, I don't know. I mean, you know, yeah, we're, we're super young, Jason and I, but I feel like together and separately, we've had really powerful experiences that have led us to this moment and this and this climb, whatever, however you got to the experience that allowed you to climb that route, whether you're 22 or you're 35, the judgment is is that you were able to climb that route in the style that you guys climbed it. Exactly. And it, it, there is you no were 12 or 50. doesn't matter. Right. All right. Moving on. Let's keep going here. One of the things too that I noticed on to- on Super Topo and and other forums. This isn't just about Super Super Topo, although that one was the most fervent, if you will. <laughs> is the argument, and this is actually one of them that came up quite a bit in a lot of the the sort of printed, I don't know what to call these, but 
many people made statements, blog bloggers or or famous climbers that got printed separately, and they weren't necessarily forum posts, but maybe had been printed on on other on on other websites. But one of the things that came up was this whole nationalistic thing, okay, and as if you were a representative of America, you were representative of the American government, you were representative of our society, our culture. And there were, there were analogies made to Iraq and Afghanistan and wars and, and Americans doing this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, without too much thought, it just occurred to me that this you have nothing to do with that. So climbing as a climber in North America, mm-hmm. you're kind of, you're more, I mean, I don't want to say an outcast, but you're not an outcast, but you're not like, it's not no, like. No, it's a subculture. It's a subculture, exactly. That's why we love it. Exactly. So it's not like Europe where these where these Alpine clubs are really, really, you know, strong culturally, financially, mm-hmm. all these other things. You know, like it's it's a it's a culture in Europe, mm-hmm. right? And and what I I said in the nationalism thing that it's this is an issue of climbing, right? This is a climbing issue. It's it 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 doesn't come down to, you know, American government, for example, mm-hmm. you know, and. In our foreign policy, because I personally don't agree with our government and our foreign policy, because I I've been to that part of the world in the Middle East, and I think it's really sad and tragic what we've done down there. It doesn't it doesn't come down to that though, right? It doesn't come down to what my government has done. It comes down to a pure climbing issue, mm-hmm. and I think that a lot of people, essentially, that we're a scapegoats, Jason and I, for some bigger issues, maybe that some people have some grudges towards our government, mm-hmm. but you know. It's it's climbing, right? It's silly climbing. How mm-hmm. can you compare climbing to the Taliban? Right. Right. How can you compare those things? I mean, we removed a few pieces of steel. Mm-hmm. How can you compare that to the Taliban? Well, I, I just and, don't. And certainly, you know, in your in your uh, the printed statement that that you guys put out in Alpinist, Zach Smith was quoted in comparing it to the Berlin Wall. And, and that's that's a metaphor, and we it's need- a metaphor, and and it was Zach, and and I I also kind of cringed at that when I read it, as much as I love Zach, in that I was like, yeah, you're kind of, you know, pushing it just a teeny bit, and that maybe that's the that's the kind of thing that people sort of clued into uh, when criticizing that and criticizing right. you guys, but I totally agree with you in the sense that there's this, I mean, America's. And and obviously one of you guys is Canadian, but let's talk about North Americans because you know Canadians are just little Americans that want to get out. <laughs> <laughs> that was for you, Jason. Anyway, um, the uh, the idea that we're individualistic and we don't have Alpine clubs. I mean, we have um, the American Alpine Club, but but they're desperate for membership. <laughs> to be honest with you, um, and while in Europe, I mean, things are for better or worse. There is this more idea of the collective. If you're yeah. a jogger in France, you join a jogging club, and in the morning you guys all meet and you go jogging. You know, or if you're you're a climber, you're you're within the climbing club, and at least part of you is going to spend some time, you know, moving up through the ranks. So it's understandable that that the Italians would sort of codify and and rally around their boy, even if a lot of them don't necessarily so believe the, his story right, or whatever. Story, they they yeah. might disagree. They might disagree. So yeah, it's it's a pretty interesting thing for sure. Definitely another one of those issues that really caught Jason and I by surprise. Mm-hmm. Like at least 
being one of the ma- major issues in this controversy. That's definitely one of, the, and, and especially in Argentina. And that's where I actually, I do empathize and I do really understand the point of view down there. Now, as far as the Italians are concerned, the Italians went into a foreign country, Maestri anyway, went into a foreign country and did what he wanted to do, no different than Americans or Canadians going down there to do what they wanted to do. But yeah, the, Ar- the, the, the argument that the Argentines should have you know, been able to deal with it on their own, that does hold some water because it is sort of their sovereign land. Um, not sort of, it is. And so that one, you know, it's that one's one of them that I haven't been able to wrap my head around totally, whether or not it was up to them or up to you guys. But at the same time, I fall back on this idea of Patagonia having always been an international destination as the climbing community, in my opinion, rising above nationalities in that we are sort we are of a global group. Yeah, a global group. And that clearly, like I said, some of these these people in El Shalten that were on board with, with mobbing you guys really had no idea what was going on. Yeah, that's very true. So but I mean that that one's a hard one to quantify. I mean, like Jim Donini also hasn't necessarily come out in support of you guys while he completely disagrees with, with Maestri's intentions on the compressor route and disagrees with the compressor route. He continues to maintain that he has always felt that it was a local issue. Yeah. And having really strong ties to the people down there, that's completely understandable. But, I mean, what do you have to say about that in terms of the Argentines, in terms of the vote that had been taken years right. before that said they wanted to keep the bolts up there? So I mean, what's your, how do you address that? So this is another issue that has been brought up a lot. Mm-hmm. And I've talked a lot about with a lot of the Argentines because I was, it was down there, obviously, but this vote in 2007 was was very biased. Most of the climbers were out climbing during this vote because it was a good weather window, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So it's it's very hard to it's it's again this group mob mentality of people that are against this bolt chopping. Yay, raw! Here we go. We're against this. Mm-hmm. Boom. Mm-hmm. Vote. We it have was, we have the say. And and just to to, to put it in perspective, in my understanding. There was a pro- about forty people there, or maybe even exactly forty, something like that. Yeah, and then it was thirty were for leaving the route there, ten were against, and ten were against. Exactly. Okay, and so, not all of them were climbers. In fact, most I of them were not. The majority were not climbers. Right. So that's one thing to consider. The yeah. other thing to consider is how do you qualify a local? Roller Gerabati has been spending more time in Patagonia than most anyone since 1987. Mm-hmm. So is he a local? Most of the people that live in Chalten consider they don't consider him a local. Mm-hmm. But he's climbed more in that range than most people, mm-hmm. right? Silvo Caro, he's a Slovenian. Mm-hmm. Again, climbed more there than most people. Right. And Mono Salvatero spent over fifty nights bivied on territory itself. Right. Right. Is he a local? No, of course not. <laughs> that sounds horrible, by the way. It does sound horrible. <laughs> Why would you do that? So, like, what's a local? Who is a local? Right. Right. So this vote in 2007, in my mind, I mean, there is no vote, right? So there's this is a very – climbing is the art of freedom. Mm-hmm. And it there has never been democracy in climbing. No. There never will be. That's why we all love it. That's a very unanimous thing because we have the right to do what we want mm-hmm. on this canvas, which is climbing. Mm-hmm. Maestro had the right to put the bolts in. We had the right to take them out. Mm-hmm. Just as much as someone has the right to go up there and put plastic holds up the entire head wall. So there is no vote that will ever 
and I mean ever, there, there is no consensus. Like, why would you even attempt to try to do that? Because who has the right? I don't have the right. The Argentines don't have the right. No one does. This is a mountain. Well, it's interesting because I think it, it, it's very easy for, for the people who want to find fault with you guys to fall back on this one. But I want to say, as, as an analogy, every single one of us climbers have a local area. And the last thing we want is the local non-climber people to come and change it. Come in and get in our way about what's going on up there. And, and I think of rifle lo- locally here. And luckily for us, the, the, the town council and those people have come to understand what we're doing up there and have come to see it as something that's benefiting the town. But it took a really long time because mm-hmm. they just flat out didn't know what we were up to. And, you know, frankly, I don't want them making the rules for us in that park just because you know, some sort of legal territory idea says that it's within the city limits. And so Joe Schmo mayor gets to talk about how we climb up there. And frankly, I just don't, that that's just absurd. And most people would, like I said, live in climbing areas where the last thing they want is the local bureaucracy getting involved in how you climb. And there's an international incident here. And I understand that. And I also have a perspective having traveled quite a bit down there. I have not been to to that particular spot in Argentina, but I spent plenty of time in Argentina and Chile. And I do understand that they have a, a history of of meddling with of at least the United States. The Canadians, yeah. they don't meddle with anybody. Good on you Canadians. Good on Canada. But the USA, you know, I mean it was it started with Pinochet or started with Perón being involved in that in Argentina and to Pinochet in Chile. So I totally empathize with this automatic reaction of, wait a minute, Americans, or in this case, North Americans coming down here and fucking with us again. Right. Again. Right. And, and everybody I, and I, is prickly about that. I can empathize with that as well. I can empathize, but at the same time, as a climber, it's very I'm, different. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. I've been, I've been to the Middle East where we've had to circumvent local kind of rules about climbing that made absolutely no sense. And I'm completely happy doing that because I'm not, I know I'm not offending any, any real person in that, that simply a bureaucracy has decided on a certain rule that has no idea about. So it's a tricky one. It's definitely a tricky one. And and, and I'll, I'll say this too. I feel like without the climbing down there, you know, who knows what, the Torres, what would be going on there? You know, I feel like in a lot of these places around the world, not just there, but it's climbing becomes this sort of bulwark against development. Mm-hmm. And look at Everest. It's like in, in those places, if, if real climbers, if, if, if people who, who were dedicated to keeping the same sensibility that you guys are, are keeping, down in the Torres, if they had been in charge in the last 30 years on Everest, it would still be a place that we would revere. It'd be a and different what, story. And what's become, thanks to the, to th- thanks to, to, to the people who, who own the country and everything else, is, is a joke within climbing. I mean, Everest is not even seen as something we even give a rat's ass about anymore. And that's because bureaucracy took over, the, 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 the pursuit of point. money took over, and now it's a joke. And if 
Reinhold Messner and, and that generation of climbers had been in charge of what was going to happen to Everest, we'd still have a pristine mountain. And that's really what, what it gets into is like, okay, so we're, we allow the locals to do whatever the hell they want. But, what are we going to get? Yeah. You know, and, and not that the, necessarily the Argentines would do that, but I think it's pretty easy to see a, a progression there because oftentimes the locals, even in a country like Argentina, it's about commerce and it's about what is going to bring us the most development and mm -hmm. the most success. And, and that's clearly one of the things that they have a problem with is that this compressor route is a huge draw for most of the climber or many of the climbers that come to the area. That may not be true, but I think they see it as without that, we're going to lose something. We're going to lose money. Right. We're going to lose money or development or there'll be less people here because that was one of the routes that gets done more than any of the other ones. What about you guys' ego? I mean, <laughs> where, where does that fit into this? And before you answer that, you know, keep in mind that I'm a, a believer in ego. It's obviously almost always used as a negative, but anybody who thinks about it realizes that ego is what drives human beings to succeed. It's what drives human beings to be better. It's what drives human beings to innovate. You know, the ego, according to psychologists, is the thing that, that really, like, is the engine of our lives. Right. So, but of course, we're talking about ego in terms of self-aggrandization. And a lot of people have just said, yeah, you guys were up there just like, we're going to do this to become famous, or we're going to do this to become rad, or we're going to do this to become a name. So how do you address that? So, and, you know, this is me speaking... As Hayden Kennedy, I'm not speaking for Jason Kruk. For me, climbing is really personal. The reason I go climbing is because the routes I want to do and to be with the people I want to be with and have experiences for me. And I could care less really if ever, if anyone ever knew about that kind of stuff. And I, I really agree with what you're saying, Chris, like that ego is a driving force, right? There is a very good part or like a good, I mean, ego is not all bad. Sure. I mean, I think that, you know, poor ego gets a little bit of a, totally. It's, it's like the bad brother. Right. Or like, like little, you know, the devil on your shoulder. Sure. Yeah. Of course we have some ego, right? We just, we, we cleaned and chopped one of the most famous routes in the world and right. took away a lot of people's, we took away their opportunity to go climb on it. Mm -hmm. How is that not selfish or mm -hmm. elitist? Right. Of course it is a little bit for sure. But for us, we weren't, you know, we weren't trying to become famous. We weren't trying these really ego-driven people. We just really wanted to make a statement about alpine climbing mm -hmm. and about this is for us. I mean, in our minds, this is, you know, there is, I mean, this is the next generation of alpine climbing. Mm -hmm. Like we want to, you know, we want people to, to have adventures. We want, you know, people to rise up to the occasion of the mountain, not bring it down to their level. It wasn't about us. This is about Saratoria, I think. This is a, mm -hmm. and that's the thing that Colin Haley addressed in his article that he wrote about on his blog, that this isn't about me and Jason. Mm -hmm. This is about Saratoria. I think that's a very important thing to, to, to distinguish mm -hmm. because a lot of people have criticized this, yeah, being too young, you know, being very full of hubris, you know, all these different things, but it's about Saratoria in the end. Mm -hmm. Right, so we did this for Saratori. We didn't. We didn't do this for our own egos. We did this to clean up Saratori. We did this to to make an example that it, like th this is this is not acceptable practice in the mountains. Mm -hmm. Boom, take the bolts out. 
hopefully, you know, maybe that's a strong enough blow for people to realize it. The easy way out of this whole thing was if we would have gone out there, you know, and not chopped the bolts, mm-hmm. people would be stoked for us. Like, we would have been famous. Right. Right? Heroes. Right. But instead, we chose this other path, right? Mm-hmm. If it was for our egos, why would we choose this path that people would hate us? You know? Why would we choose this, the path of least resistance? Right. Why wouldn't we have just not chopped the bolts mm-hmm. and just been okay with the success that we just had on Southeast Ridge of Saratori? I've thought about this a lot, mm-hmm. I guess, this whole... Because this is one of the arguments against us that I've, mm-hmm. I, I actually really have thought about because... Mm-hmm. You know, and people for, that know me, mm-hmm. I think would, oh, I, I don't know. I mean, I try, I've, I'm very conscious of trying to be very, I'm trying to be very modest. I don't, you know, I don't want to be on the limelight. I mean, it's just. Another argument or another sort of criticism, and, and this one too, i fairly close to agreeing with, I guess, in a sense, is that, you know, there's this idea that, well, why not? let that root exist and let people decide for themselves whether it's a travesty. And, you know, I read um, at least one uh, guy from Switzerland, you know, he wrote in having said that he actually climbed most of the compressor route and had abandoned it and had gone down, not because they got screwed, but basically because he decided this thing was, was awful and this wasn't climbing and this was not what he had come for. Right. And and therefore he agreed with you chopping it, but it made me think like, well, people climbing it, couldn't they make their own sort of assessment of whether or not it was a travesty or whether or not? So it gets to kind of like the question of why its very existence is a problem and why it's, you know, why your route couldn't have existed as an independent line and almost as a statement against it you know, you'd have them juxtaposed against the, the two and, and, and maybe making your your ascent even more important because it's like, look, right over there is this thing that, that was an abomination and here's the way to do it. Right. So, I mean, does that make any sense to you or, or can you address that? To be honest, it, it really doesn't make that much sense to me. Okay. And the reason that it doesn't... Why not? What's wrong with you? This is my podcast. <laughs> and, and this is another thing that I really disagree with. I don't know. It's For me, it's... Sorry. It's, it's true though. It's like right. it's all so comical. But I mean, when you look up, you see bolts, right? When the compressor root existed, you saw bolts. You didn't see features. You didn't see mm-hmm. the natural weakness. You didn't see gear placements. You saw a line of bolts. So what happens if we would have, let's say we would have left the, the compressor root up and our variations obviously existed and people knew about them. And let's say someone goes up there and, you know, in horrendous weather, horrendous conditions, what are they going to do, huh? If they have the chance, they're going to summit the route mm-hmm. by the Maestri bolts because you right. cannot climb our variation in horrendous conditions and bad weather, mm-hmm. right? It's just the nat- that's just the fact. It's 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 actually climbing. You have to use your hands and your feet to climb this mountain by our variation. So when it comes down to it, you have to. In my mind, it's a the statement needed to be done because. People are going to choose the easy way, I think, at the end of the day, right? right? When, right. That, when that easy way is presented, that's where they were going to go. Like, that's what they've been doing. So for 40 years, why haven't anyone... I mean, Jason Kruk and Chris Geiser were the highest people to get on the compressor route. 
on, on the Southeast Bridge by fair means. Right. That was in 2011. Right. Right? No one else has really even tried it. Right. Given it a serious attempt. Right. So why is that? Mm-hmm. It's because the compressor reed existed. It's because those bolts existed. Mm-hmm. That's, they just take the easy way out. Like, why has no one really seriously tried that in 40 years? Right. It, it baffles me. Right. Because, because as you it's said right earlier, next to you. Well, and as you said earlier, you know, what did you guys end up rating your root 511A2? 11 plus A2. 11 plus A2. That's within the realm of possibility 20, 25, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's not like this thing it was waiting for people to be good enough. No. It was no, waiting for people to have the vision and it's, it's, it was clearly waiting. that was blurring the vision. And the thing about it is this. It comes down to this. It's waiting for the vision. It's having humility. It's coming down to the fact of, yeah, the conditions aren't right for this mm. mountain right now. Right. This and year, I, even, even if I did spend you know, $4,000 on tickets to get down here or whatever. Yeah, the conditions aren't right. right. This mountain isn't – you cannot climb it right now mm-hmm. in these conditions. And that's the natural state of the mountain, mm-hmm. right? When we did it, the natural mm-hmm. state was amazing. It was right. perfect. We were lucky. Yeah. But that's the way the mountain is, right? That's the way that it naturally – that's the cycle that it goes through. And I feel as alpine climbers, we need to follow that cycle as, you know, we need to be true to that cycle as, you know, as much as we can. Mm -hmm. So to me, having those bolts in there, yeah, we could have left them and we could have made people make the choice, but ultimately our route would have been forgotten. You know, and and within a lot of the posts, there was a lot of talk about people who had, had tried that route and everybody kept bringing up like, not just the time they had dedicated to coming down there, but it was there was a lot about the money. You know, there's not a climber out there and not a single person on that forum, you know, is gonna go rah 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 for the for the Texan who's who pays seventy thousand dollars and gets up Everest. And yet right away they're like, Well, what about the money I spent? Well then you're in total agreement that the more money you spend, the the more you know, right you have to get on the top of the mountain. Exactly. And that comes down to the very simple fact of we're not entitled in my mind to climb any mountain. Right. You know, by that definition, why don't we have a bolt ladder up every single mountain in the world or have a via sure. fraud up every mountain. Mm-hmm. We're not entitled to anything. So the whole money issue is, well, if you want to talk about blowing money on an expedition, mm-hmm. why don't you go to the Himalaya and, you know, blow way more money, get way less fit and summit nothing. Right. <laughs> I mean, I did that one time in Nepal. Right, right. Happened exactly to me. You know, I couldn't climb anything. I got way less fit. You know, now you, it's three weeks out or four weeks out since you've gotten back. Obviously, you're 100% behind what you did. You have no regrets. No. Nope. One last thing I want to ask you about is, I mean, what are your concerns? Obviously, you and, and Jason are both sponsored climbers. You know, you're sponsored by Black Diamond in Patagonia. Sportiva, and you're also climbers that want to travel the world. We joke about you never going to Italy. You know, probably won't get through customs without being cavity searched. <laughs> that's why we're. In, that's why we're in a very, bunker. very large Italian man. With, that's why we're with in a bunker deep fist. in the Rhinefork Valley. I'm never leaving there. You know, and and quite frankly, I mean, what what is your future in Patagonia? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's at least in my own personal climbing and. My pursuit to be a climber is, in the last few years, I've th- thought about it a lot, not just because of the territory issue, mm-hmm. but for a lot of other reasons. Um, but as far as my sponsors go, 
there in support of me. I mean, I'm an individual. I'm a climber. I'm not a corporate drone. There are no rules that they've set for me. So maybe they're not in support of me. Maybe they are, but they recognize that I'm an individual mm-hmm. and that I make the decisions on my own. Sure. So I'm not really sure if the sponsorship issue is really like a that important, really, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Obviously, I've I've definitely, in the last few weeks, last month, really thought about the whole, you know, sponsored climber, quote unquote, road it is, you know, there are other ways, but I mean, climbing in the larger world and in Europe specifically, I guess I'm really excited to go to Europe and go, go climbing and meet with people. And cause I really, I've had, I have a ton of European friends and there's great places. I want to go alpine climbing. I want to go sport climbing, do some trad climbing. Yeah. I'd love to go there. I don't know. I mean, for me, it's I, I hasn't really changed my worldly view at all. Like I still want to go and explore the world and climb routes that I feel really connected to and that I really want to do. It's not like, oh no, now I can't go to this place because of what I just did on territory. I mean, if that came, if it came down to that, then I mean, I would be really sad, you know. But hopefully, you know, people if they do disagree with what we did, they have a very you know, they can come up to me and talk to me about it and not talk about it behind my back, for example. Like, I'd really rather just confront people about it. And I guess my future Patagonia climbing, I would love to go back to Patagonia and climb on the Torres and on the Fitzroy range because it has inspired me for years and continues to inspire me. And I would hope that, you know, as the, the dust settles, that my friends in Argentina that, you know, have maybe been in disagreement with me, it kind of, that this issue... It's it's really not that big of a deal, right? Mm-hmm. At the end, at the end of the day, and that's what I've come to the conclusion to that there is no right or wrong. That this really isn't that big of a deal. There's a lot bigger issues in the world, mm-hmm. and, and and even in climbing, like I'm talking about, you know, obviously there's way bigger issues in the world. Like we're all super fortunate people listening to this podcast. It's not like we're, you know, starving. Sure. Or out of money. Like, we're all privileged. Like the people that built the iPods that we're listening to it on? Exactly. So, there's a lot bigger issues, one. Two, even in the climbing world, I mean, fuck, like, a few measly bolts compared to, in my mind, I mean, when people die or when, when you know, people get hurt or something really serious happens, like, that's, to me, the issue. So, mm-hmm. I'd hope that we can all overcome this disagreement or agreement with us i hope that we can come to a a mutual agreement that you know there are larger issues at hand um all right well listen hayden i really appreciate you coming in sitting down with me i know it was a leap of faith in terms of you know of addressing this hostile environment that you you've returned to in the united states and and returned to an l shell tent so um, thanks a lot, and uh, I think we got some really good stuff here, so I appreciate you coming out. Yeah, thank you, Chris. All right, that's it. No more. Those two parts, parts one and two, were edited down from about three hours, or over three hours on the mic, and a better part of a 12-pack. So I guess there's not much left to say on the subject. What I would love to see next season is for Senor Garabate to put his money where his mouth is and finish the job. 
And that's the job that Maestri actually started himself, which is something we forgot to mention, is that when Maestri began to descend in 1970, he started chopping his own bolts, wanting to clean them all, and his partners, because of coming weather, talked him out of it. So yeah, Maestri wanted it chopped himself in 1970. So I'd love to see Rolo gather some like-minded Argentines and clean the rest of the detritus off the route. Leave the anchors and such used by David Lama on his free ascent and bring the compressor down to be displayed in El Shalton. You know, if HK and Jason were the vanguard, like Largo said, then Rolo and crew would be like the light infantry coming in to mop up. And afterwards, the history was destroyed, people. Can fly down to Patagonia. They can get their picture taken standing on the compressor. Maybe it's in a in a little park in El Shalton, like little Midwest towns that keep cannons and tanks in there. And now the new locals would have to argue with the old locals, but at least they can do it in Argentine Spanish. I think HK and Jason were kind of like the acolytes that threw themselves on their own swords. And now the high priest should take some of the heat, stand up for what he believes in, and finish off the job. Anyway, next time on the Normal Cast, we will not be talking about Patagonia, I hope. So tune in. See you in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed family with you. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style.